Hey everybody, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Real Talk podcast. We hope that these discussions will inform and inspire you to engage in your own Real Talk. Today's episode is brought to you by our official sponsor, Triban, builders of custom trucks, trailers, and enclosure buildings tailored to your needs. Be sure to check them out at www.trivan.com. A big thanks to them for making these conversations possible. Now, on to the episode. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Real Talk. Uh, just so you know, quick note, this podcast is also available in video. So if you find yourself just listening to this in the car or wherever you are, uh, just know that if you want to see the interaction between people in the podcast, that's also available for you on YouTube. So feel free to check that out. Just I would search Real Talk or Reformed Real Talk, and uh, you should be able to find that on YouTube. No problem. So on today's episode, um, normally we do feedback episodes every few episodes, but uh, we've been thinking about that concept more and we want to improve it. So we've um, we've come up with this concept uh, for a new episode and we're titling it Real Talk Roundup. So, you know, as everything we do in this podcast, uh, we're trying to see if it works and see what the audience enjoys. So please feel free to give us some feedback on what you think of this episode. But essentially what it's going to be is normally it would involve still me, uh, myself, and Tyler. But then we'll also bring on a number of different guests, uh, guest hosts, if you will, to give their thoughts and opinions on some of the feedback um, that we received and, and their thoughts, of course, on the episode. And then also we'll uh, incorporate a theme issue usually to each episode, whether that be some sort of current events. And on uh, today's show, that will be Mark talking about uh, teacher shortages if that is indeed a problem, if so, what we can do about it. Um, but first, we'll work our way through each episode. And then at the end, uh, of course, we'll have a book review, book recommendation from John. So that's what we got uh, planned. Should be about a 45-minute show. So if you see this episode being an hour, we apologize in advance. We'll try to be brief and entertaining and um, informative. So without further ado, we will kick into the first episode chronologically. Um, that we covered. And that was with Pastor Bill DeYoung from Blessings. And we talked about youth culture in the church. Uh, so I found this episode pretty interesting myself, uh, obviously being a younger member in the church. Um, and it, it, it opened up a lot of avenues for discussion, um, how churches can appeal to youth, but also not make that an idol in and of itself, how we can deal with kind of the moral therapeutic deism in our culture which is more of just a big fancy way of saying people care a lot about themselves and what they think matters uh, in, in terms of serving themselves, which we know has been around since the beginning of time and it's a product of sin. So not necessarily a new problem, but certainly one that the church should engage in. Uh, yeah. In, in this time, in this place. So without further ado, I will stop my ramblings and I'm going to go to John first for his thoughts on the episode with uh, Bill DeYoung. Yeah, I appreciated it. And I am, uh, maybe going to have to bookmark it for when I have teens. It's still still upcoming for me, but this is one that I'd love to watch with a teen for some of the vocabulary that he was uh, putting putting terms to. Like you you mentioned, moral therapeutic deism. Um, he had something about screenagers. Just that you're impacted by these philosophies that you don't really understand what they are until somebody puts a puts a name to it. And then you can start recognizing it in yourself. You can start recognizing it uh, maybe in your classmates around you. And so I just, uh, I thought it was a really helpful thing for, uh, for an older guy like me, but um, I could see this just in the discussions with, with my own kids. Um, what's going on here? What, what are these, what, what lies of the world are we, fallen into. Um, and, and I appreciated some of these terms, uh, expressive individualist. Um, but even talking about things like, uh, getting categorized by the internet, you know, categorized is a term we only use. It seems like academic speak. It's something we, we do at church, but the idea that we're getting categorized by the world and, uh, you know, you are what you eat. So, kids who are um, getting fed a constant diet of TikTok and, and the like to understand what that's turning them into um, and, and to make conscious choices to watch things like this. Um, and I found it interesting as a motivation 
I think Bill DeYoung mentioned at one point, you know, you got a pastor comes in, he gets to speak to you twice a week. And then for the rest of the time, you have 40 hours a week, full-time job of somebody accessing social media. Okay, how can he compete? Uh, well, one of the ways he can compete, or one of the ways we can compete is by upping our output. So that is a pastor for a couple hours and maybe some catechism class. Um, Reform perspective can chip in, real talk can chip in. But then as Bill DeYoung was also pointing out, what's what's the biggest influence on these young lives? It's parents. So um, yeah, you come home from work, you're tired, kid says he's fine. Well, you, you, you still you need to check in, you need to start to up in your own input. So I, I appreciated it front to back. Um, I think I could watch it again. And uh, I got I got a 12 year old, so um, going on 13. So uh, I'm just on the cusp. Maybe I can start watching that right now with her. There you go. Well, thanks, John. Appreciate that. And yeah, I think Mark, uh, you're a father of, of quite a few children as well. So I think uh, this would be a good one for you to weigh in. What were your thoughts on and what uh, Bill had to say? Yeah, my oldest is just uh, being a teenager for a year. She's 14. I, I found it fascinating. Um, in, in particular, when he talked about how we are really crushing our youth when we are, as a culture, asking them to define for themselves who they are, their identity. You know, we, we see it on Disney all the time, asking them to pursue their dreams and, and some of the what's being pushed ideologically also uh, when it comes to things like gender and gender identity, we're asking them to to even um, identify their own sex, um, regardless of of you know the the sex that they've been given by God at birth. And he, I thought it very helpful how he pointed out that this is something that that nobody should have to bear uh, to define for themselves things that that are given to us, let alone a you know a nine year old girl, for example, and. Um, the, the beauty of the Christian faith is that so much of our identity has been given to us. Uh, our identity that comes already at our baptism, that we belong you know, to a loving father, that he's going to um, give us all we need as, as creatures, but, but not just creatures like any other creatures, as creatures made in his very image. Uh, and, and so much of who we are, it's not something we have to figure out. It's something that that he has already shaped for us. He wants us to fulfill. It's a calling for us to live up to. Uh, and yeah, the more I reflected on that, the more I thought that although our, our world likes to celebrate this whole idea of choice and defining who we are, autonomy, it's actually a huge burden. And it's something that Satan is putting on so many people's shoulders. No wonder why there's so much anxiety. Uh, whereas the, the Christian message is very liberating. Uh, we don't have to figure out some things. We we go into this world uh, with a clear calling and purpose, and then we just need to live it. Yeah, exactly. That, that ties in really well with, with the next episode we had as well, uh, dealing with human sexuality. Uh, we had Reverend Chris Gordon on the program. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It was uh, That was also a very enlightening episode too, I found. Just again, being on the younger side of things, just hearing these plain biblical truths stated openly, honestly, and with with the various scriptural backing for for each point uh, was yeah just encouraging to see and uh, uh, not shocking, but just yeah it was it's out there in the open. And we talk about being categorized by the world, and uh, I'm I'm certainly a victim or a victim. I'm certainly uh, in that pool where you see the culture just pushing yeah, yeah the various lgbtq narratives on you all day every day it's it's all on your feed and i've even tried to distance myself from social media a bit but it's still it's out there it's everywhere so it was uh very helpful to uh to have him uh yeah you walk us through that uh, i really appreciate what he brought to the table there but uh i think i'll throw it to uh to john for some some further thoughts there yeah i appreciated his his catechism as as a tool for building confidence uh as you say we get impacted by the world and when you hear a lie just driven at you constantly it's it's hard not to start to wonder if there's something to it and uh you know i just had 
so, so his resource is is an anchor in God's word. It it points you to where you need to go to find the 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 text relevant text as well. Gives an awesome summary of it, and it's it's a vital tool. Uh, I'm having a dialogue with somebody on transgenderism, and they're talking about how these surgeries are a good thing because uh, after the surgery, very few of them express any regret. They're they're feeling so much better. Only a regret of one to two percent. And uh, that's co- comparable to uh, people who get organ transplants. It might even be 6%. So these people who are getting double mastectomies are feeling so much better. Well, that's, that's kind of a disturbing thing. That's like shakes you up a little bit. You're wondering what's going on here. This is somebody who uh, cites a lot of research. So he's not just speaking into the wind. But God is good. And we know that. So we can have confidence we can look to uh god's expectations of the word he made us male and female so with that confidence we can go and 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 know that whether it's now or later you know what that study's going to turn out to be bunk and 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 in fact it did turn out to be bunk there it was a short time period it was excluding studies that disagreed with it and all that kind of stuff but we need these anchors. We need to be rooted in God's word, have the confidence that God is good, that he knows what's best for us. And then here it is. Here's this catechism explaining all the goodness that God intends for us through sexuality, through identity, um, summarized so succinctly and uh, in, a, in a way that's accessible to, to interact with our kids. So what a blessing that Pastor Gordon has gifted us. Indeed. Yeah, it's, it is quite the foundation and it's something that we can continue to return to and uh, we can be very thankful for that. Uh, Mark, what were uh, some of your thoughts on what Chris Gordon had to say? I get to teach catechism uh, for our local youth at our, the church that, that I'm a member of. And uh, it's, it's made me see with all the more clarity, just the importance of uh, bringing the, the, firm convictions that we've had for years written down in, in catechisms like the, the Heidelberg Catechism, but then uh, applying these truths to the issues that are, are really alive today. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll add to what, what John had to say there is um, very grateful that Reformed Perspective was also able to print the actual catechism in, in the hard copy of the magazine. So if, if anyone's just hearing this on the podcast and wants to know what this what does this catechism look like, um, you can find the full version of that magazine on the Reform Perspective website. Highly encourage that. Yeah, go to uh, reformperspective.ca slash magazine, and it's uh, the June, July, August issue. Wonderful. And um, if you're interested in listening to the actual podcast we did, uh, we will also link that in the show notes below. Or if you're listening to this on uh, any sort of podcast service, you can find it in the same Real Talk feed. All right. So that was the first two episodes. And then the final one, um, and this was, I I think, one of the most interesting ones we did uh, in in a long time, is this uh, episode we did on Canadian Reformed and URC, United Reformed uh, Church Relations. So we had on Reverend Steve Sweats, who was a URC minister, uh, originally from uh, the States. And then we had on Reverend Dick Wynia, who grew up CRC, studied in the Canref churches, was a URC minister, and then now is a CanRC minister. So he brought a, a wealth of experience and knowledge to the podcast as well, as did Reverend Sweats, who's on the committee, uh, ecumenical committee, I believe it's called, at the uh, for the URC churches. And uh, they brought to us, uh, yeah, a lot of experience and insight as to what the relationship is between the two churches. We walked through the history and um, all the various discussions that went on, uh, the merger talks, and then how they kind of died off. And we also, uh, most interestingly, I think, I think at least, touched on how the future will go. And that's, I think, what will also be part of our discussion today, too, uh, as to where do we see this relationship heading forward. Um, so I'll go to, uh, to John first again on this one, John, what were some of your thoughts on this episode? Did you enjoy it? Uh, what were the most interesting parts? And then also, uh, what are your thoughts in terms of the future, uh, between the relationship between these two federations? Yeah, I, this, I kind of grew up with this, uh, good portion of my family is in Christian forum circles. Um, this whole, uh, 
yeah, I saw this up close. And so when I was when I was listening to your episode, I was I was interested, but I kind of thought I had a good overview of it. Um, but man, there <laughs> that was a, a really uh, there's a lot there. So I really appreciate. It. I learned a lot of new things. Um, and, uh, that's another one I could listen to a second time, I guess, as far as the direction of uniting, I, I, I appreciate where we are, um, growing up Canadian formed with CRC connections, you know, we were sort of seen as the standoffish group and, um, the, the fellowship that we have with others of God's people just spoke to, to, to just the beauty of God's church and the opportunities that keep coming out of this, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful for it, whether it goes uh, closer or stays where we are. Like I kind of, we're, we're so intertwined as it is. Um, it's a beautiful thing. So I, I don't know where it's going to go, but I'm, I'm so grateful for where it is now. I think that was one of the the takeaways for me too, is that, yeah, if we look at, we, I was at least coming into this episode, it was a little focused on, okay, like what can we actually do to unite? But if you step back and look at it, maybe the benefits aren't even there for, for uniting since we are so, yeah, as you say, intertwined on the ground. Uh, Mark, do, did you see that too? And what do you make of the suggestion that perhaps uh, the URC could could swallow up, I guess, uh, the CANRC given their broader constitution? Do you see that as a, a viable path forward? I'm guessing that the the history of each denomination plays a big role in why um, the Canadian Reformed churches, as they acknowledge, both pastors acknowledge, the Canadian Reformed churches have shown a whole lot more appetite for um, a full merger, like a full on on unity. And it's it probably also explains why, um, from the perspective of of many in the United Reformed churches, especially south of the border. They feel like we already have unity for for the most part. Like to to actually formally be one federation, sure, that's meaningful. That that does count for something. But when you're already having uh, ministers on each other's pulpits, going to the same schools, um, if the day to day living is not all that different than any other church from your own federation, then then um, in a sense that that unity is already being achieved. Uh, but I, I think for many in, growing up in the Canadian Reformed churches, there is a history that we um, can't ignore where there's a real focus on what is the true church and then how is that true church manifested locally. So you start looking around at the other churches and it becomes a question right away. Are they true church? Yes or no. And if the answer is yes, then it's got to be there's just one of them, you know, one one uh, one true church in each geographic area. You ought to be united. Um, but I think over time, and, and also in the North American context, it really is quite different. So what the United Reformed Churches have experienced, especially in the United States, is uh, there's a wide range of, of very faithful churches in the Reformed community, in the Presbyterian um, tradition. And, and to expect to get to the place where you're completely united, where, where you even are working from the same church order, uh, is is a bar that's maybe unrealistic or, or too high to even devote too much time towards. Uh, so that, that's one of the thoughts that that came to me as I, I as I listened to them, just slightly different expectations. Um, and yeah, in terms of a way forward, I appreciated how they spoke about the need to just make unity something that's real on the ground. So I think there's two different levels going on. On, on the one level, we have the official um, communication correspondence that's happening between denominations and it's going taking many years and it's going through synods and and that's important uh, but but the real level is on the ground how are how are the churches treating each other when when there's uh, various faithful reformed churches in one community and how are the individuals within those churches treating each other um, for for myself I live in a community where there's indeed uh, two United Reformed churches two Canadian Reformed churches fairly close proximity and it was for years already that that the Reformed Christian School uh, welcomed both denominations in fully as, as members. And then just to make that more real, although it was called a Canadian Reformed School, um, my children, for, for their memory work, for singing songs, they have to sing Trinity Hymnal Psalms alongside Book of Praise songs. So it, it really is 
that we're learning both books concurrently. And that's gone a long ways just to, um, you can talk about unity, but if you don't really open up each other's songbooks, it becomes a bigger step when you're talking as, as denominations. Um, I've got, I've got various thoughts about, about a way forward, but, but I don't want to take over this conversation. So I uh, pass it on back over to you. No, that's fine. That's, that's some good thoughts there. I'm wondering, John, he mentioned, uh, he being, uh, Reverend Sweats, uh, that, you know, in the past, uh, I don't know how far in the past, but there had been tension in towns and places where there was a URC church and a Canterbury church. And he mentioned Linden as one of these places. Uh, can you give some, uh, some firsthand, uh, yeah, perspective on that? Was that the case and has that kind of subsided over the years? Yeah. So that was news to me. Um, I, I've been here, uh, something close to 50, well, more than 15 years. And, uh, Things are very harmonious here. We don't have a huge United Reform presence in the Canadian Reform School here because we also have a very large Reformed high school uh, with Christian Reformed roots that most URC send their kids to. Um, it's enormous. Like I don't know, it could be a thousand, could be a thousand kids. But they have every program imaginable. They have all the the best sports programs, so it's a very attractive thing there. But as far as on the ground. Um, you know, we're, we're marrying each other's kids. We're going to each other's events. We're all like, we're all, we're all related. So yeah. Um, it's pretty harmonious from my, from my perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Things are similar here for sure. In Southern Ontario, I like growing up in Niagara. I, I have friends from, from that church, uh, in the URC churches. I am URC now, so I it didn't really give it much of a, of a second thought. It's, it's pretty much it's almost the same. So yeah, it's definitely on the ground. We're, we're quite united, at least uh, it seems to be most of Canada for sure. Uh, but Mark, uh, you had some thoughts on, on how to proceed, how to go forward between the two federations. Just from hearing out Pastor Sweats and, and Pastor Winey, and for the record, I thought they did such a good job um, laying out the entire issue in a span of an hour and a half. So if, if, like John said, if, if people feel they understand the issue quite well, but haven't heard the episode, I think they're going to still get a lot out of it. Highly recommend it. Um, but but I we heard some some suggestions come right out of out of your interview there, and and I want to interact with them briefly. So I think option one wasn't said outright, but option one in a sense is that the Canadian Reformed churches I think need to manage expectations like our own expectations. Uh, so. In, in a sense, it's um, chill, you know, ease off the gas pedal and, and accept the fact that it could take decades for this kind of um, relationship of trust and love to keep developing and also moves further south into the United States. And, and then um, unity might just be in a very easy, uh, you know, flick of the switch at a future, at a future um, date where, where just don't make it too complicated. Don't push it. Um, give it time. I think that that's, that's option one. Option two, I think it was floated uh, by one of the pastors. He said, um, you know, what if, what if there was a, the, the United Reformed Churches in Canada joined the Canadian Reformed Churches? And then they didn't say it, but I, I think logically the, um, the few churches in the United States that are affiliated with the Canadian Reformed Churches called American Reformed, that they joined the U United Reformed Churches. So essentially the border becomes becomes the split there. Um, that wasn't talked about extensively, and I, I think for good reason. Uh, in a sense, even if that happened, inevitably, um, with the desire to have real unity, it would just lead to the question of those two denominations then, you know, when are they going to join? Why don't they join? Uh, so it, it would cause quite a shakeup for, for, you know, churches that have been part of a, a denomination for years, and then you'll just make them reconsider now what? Uh, the third option that that uh, Pastor Sweat said very clearly, very succinctly, was you know there's there's room in the United Reformed Church Church Order for the Canadian Reformed Churches to just join, and we don't even have to actually change too much of of um, what we do week to week. Uh, so for the average member of the Canadian Reformed Churches, it probably wouldn't feel that different. You can keep your own songbook. You can you can do a lot of the same things the same way. And uh, I thought. That was fascinating to hear because there's something about a podcast that that it achieves that that written articles don't always achieve. And and with a podcast, sometimes you can just 
be a little bit more frank, be a little bit more open, go a little bit deeper. And um, I, I think it takes a bit of courage to to point something like that out. Like, hey, if you Canadian Reform folks are so serious about wanting unity to happen, full unity, there's a way forward. You can join the United Reform denomination. And then it becomes a question to the Canadian Reform churches, like, why not? You know, what what good reasons do we have to not proceed that way? Are those reasons biblical or are those reasons more uh, based on where we're comfortable? Is there um, pride involved with like, hey, this is our identity? And and I, th- I think it, it results in, in some good soul searching for us of like, why wouldn't we just take that route? Um, but uh, I think regardless of those three options, what came through to me strongest is that what isn't an option is the need for just the Church of Christ, regardless of what denomination we're a part of, that we actually are living out of love uh, week to week, day to day. And and I know a lot of the listeners might not be Canadian Reform, United Reform. Um, I think the point is, how are we interacting with each other in a way that shows we're actually siblings? We're not um, distant religions. We're, we're supposed to be siblings, and that love is a verb. It's something we express also with vulnerability, being willing to change if we need to change out of love. Uh, so, yeah, I thought that that came through well, and, and overall it was an encouraging, very encouraging episode. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Go I'll ahead, John. Yeah, jump in. Yeah, one one thing that uh, struck me was that some of the issues that were raised were um, basically problems that the URC might have with with the CANRC. And um, there are these wrinkles, these historical um, wrinkles. So one of the things was uh, the idea of the covenant and our Skilder's understanding versus Kuiper's and how ours might align with federal vision or this, that, or the other thing. Um, I'll just say that there are there are concerns the other way because um, we've had discussions about six-day creation. Um, they have uh, had discussions about the framework hypothesis. Um, there are things that that we would we should want clarification on as well. So. Uh, in this case, it was sort of the, the one way, well, there, there's a few questions that we could be asking back as well. Mm-hmm. well that's a good point to raise. Uh, but I guess it, it brings to mind for me what, what Reverend Winey had said, where if we can, are, are those differences we can live with? And is that something that could be part of all one, one federation? Uh, yeah, something to think about, something to grapple with. And hopefully, uh, that's, that's a bit of the takeaway from this episode is to, take a good look at ourselves, uh, both, both federations and, and for that matter, any of the other closely associated reform federations and to see what we could do to, to work towards some unity. Cause I think that should be, uh, not just a goal for, for some people. I mean, he, he also mentioned, uh, the ecumenical imperative that the Canadian reform typically, typically brought up with this need to, to unify the church. Um, yeah, I think that should be, should be on the top of mind for, for many reform people. Um, and uh, it doesn't have to detract from other efforts, from missions and other important work, but it should be something that we definitely put a, a bit of effort to effort into at least. But uh, well, that's just my two cents. Uh, thanks for weighing in, both of you guys. Um, I think if if we're ready, we can we can move on to um, to further topics. That's you just get a nod. Yep. Okay. So uh, next up, we have a bit of a, a theme topic for this episode. So we're trying to. Uh, pick a current uh, current event or a current issue to discuss on the tail end of these shows. And on uh, today's show, we're going to have Mark talking about uh, the issue of teacher uh, shortages in our schools. Now, Mark, I don't know if this is, uh, I know you've been researching this for the magazine and you're hoping to make a, a bit of a theme issue. So what have you found in your research? Is this, uh, is this a problem among men or women? Is this a problem in high schools or elementary schools? Uh, where where is this problem? Uh, where does it lie exactly? I first um, came across the issue more anecdotally. Like obviously, I'm I'm a part of a school society, and and I noticed our own school society struggling with just getting enough teachers. And um, then I served on an education committee, and had to be responsible firsthand for actually hiring teachers for for that school society, and just saw you know what a challenge that was. Uh, compared to you know when I've worked in a in a different organization, you get a number of applications, you go through a process, you hire, and you move forward. 
I think the Canada right now, really the world is struggling with worker shortages and, and you see just how important it is. But this is something that uh, reformed Christian schools have been dealing with for some years now. The, the problem is that, that most of these schools are actually independent schools. And that means they're trying to deal with these big problems also independently. They're having to do it on their own. So the, the question that came uh, to my mind is just, is there uh, an opportunity where we can work together, like right across the entire country with a common strategy? Um, is there ways in which we can learn from what others have done, that, where they've seen success? And uh, the what I'm really excited about with, with where Reform Perspective magazine is at right now is it's taken a big step forward. Uh, by now going to over 10,000 homes across the country. And, and that includes uh, free copies being sent to every um, NAPARC-affiliated church in Canada. So that's, that's a host of reformed denominations that are all getting, getting this print magazine. And one of the goals we've had with, with the print magazine is to include uh, journalism. So don't just write about issues with an opinion. There's no shortage of, of thoughts and opinions out there in this world right now. Let's go on the ground. Let's do some digging. And let's let's uh, advance um, issues where where uh, we think we can actually make progress as a community. Uh, so teacher shortage is one of these issues where we thought, look, all across the country we're dealing with this. What's really going on? So I started by reaching out to uh, the principal of, of Cradle Christian High School. His name was was given to me. It's Kent Dykstra, as someone who's taking a bit of a lead on this. And then Kent Dykstra, um, he chatted with me and he put me in touch with, with another fellow named John Wynia. Um, John Wynia is the coordinator for the League of the Canadian Reform Schools, which is, by the, as the name suggests, mostly the Canadian Reform Schools uh, in Ontario. There's some other, other schools from other denominations included. And I was fascinated to see that they, as a, as a coalition of schools, have already formed a, um, a bit of a... a loose um, organization called Teach With Us Canada. It, it's uh, spearheaded by the, those two gentlemen in, in, in particular, the leadership of it. Uh, but they saw, look, let's start off with getting some real data, some real stats to see how much of an issue this is. So they've, they've been surveying schools across the country uh, for a few years now. They've been surveying uh, the teachers, but also the, the school societies and, and even some of the, the students. And they shared some of their, their data with me. And uh, sure enough, it, it makes what was anecdotal knowledge, it makes it very factual. Um, what they found is, first of all, there's, there's more students in some of these schools. Uh, so with, with more students, you just need more teachers. That's, that's one of the issues. Um, the other factor is the attrition rate. So attrition rate is the, the rate at which um, people are leaving the profession. I don't mean just going to a different uh, Reformed Christian school, but actually like checking out and saying, I've had it with being a teacher or I'm not able to be a teacher anymore. And what they found was the attrition rate on these schools was about 10%. Uh, and 10% is higher than in the public school system. Uh, it's higher than generally uh, just other, other um, professions out there. Uh, but it's still not, it's not massive. Um, there's a, a good part of that 10%, probably about six of that 10 comes from things you would expect like retirement um, or health issues. Uh, so you've only got about 5% where it's actually workable, where it's, where it's people who are leaving and there's something behind it. Maybe you can do something about it. Now, the, the bigger issue clearly is not, not people leaving. It's where are the new teachers coming from? So how come we aren't getting more people going into the, the teaching profession. And uh, one stat they gave that I thought was particularly telling was that um, when, an app, when a uh, job posting is put out there, they ask the schools, how many applications are you getting in response to that job posting? In 2020, they were getting just 1.2 applications from qualified people per position. In 2021, it already dropped to 0.7. 0.7 applications. And if you think about it, um, generally, if, if, for example, you're a, someone who's just finished uh, your Bachelor of Education degree, you're ready to go into the workforce, you're probably not going to give your application to just one school, right? You're probably going to pick the, the ones that you're most interested in, maybe three or four, and you'll send it to all of them. Maybe you'll even send it to, you know, 10 schools. 
so the fact that the average school is just getting 0.7 applications per open position is, is very telling. Uh, I went beyond the, the uh, League of, of Canadian Reformed Schools and I went to, to Heritage Christian School, which is a large United Reformed School. I went to a Free Reformed School, Rayobah, um, Netherlands Reformed School out, out in BC, and they're all reporting the exact same issue. Some of them saying they haven't received an application in a couple of years. Uh, so uh, clearly it's a, not just anecdotal, it's, it's a serious issue across the country. All right. Well, that's, that's certainly a problem to be aware of. And yeah, I'm looking forward to, to seeing more coverage on that in the magazine. Um, what, uh, what is the source of this? Why are people not choosing to, to go into this profession? I mean, immediately my mind jumps to the pay and inflation and whatnot, but perhaps there's other factors at play there. That was a fun one to, to chat about with, with, uh, some of these, these folks. And, and I also, my mind went to the same direction yours did like, Hey, I'm sure this has something to do with the fact that trades have become so popular in the last couple of decades. Um, and, and indeed, as you go deeper, you can see it's, there's not just the challenge of, of salary. Um, there's also the challenge of the hoop you have to jump through in order to become a teacher. So there's, there's two parts to that. Yes, it's, it's generally five or six years, uh, for most provinces in this country. If you want to become a teacher, you have to get a bachelor of education degree or an equivalent about five or six years. But what's happened too is, uh, for anyone who's gone to a secular university in the last 20 plus years, uh, but especially this last, I'd say, decade or so, is that the schools have become so, so um, politically correct, so agenda-driven, woke, really. Uh, and, and some of these faculties that, that, that you have to go through to, to get a degree in, in a particular specialization, whatever it is, English or history or, or uh, even, even something like the maths and sciences, is just filled with so much garbage, really. Uh, so it's one thing for a student to have to put the money forward to study for six years. Sometimes they have to leave their home and study. Uh, but now they're actually having not even that great of an education. Uh, so when you look over and some of your peers and you see them jumping straight into the workforce, yes, making good money, but just being able to support a family right away while you're sitting there in a classroom and the last two years, you know, having to wear a mask or having to get vaccinated, you can see why it's not all that appealing to have to jump through that that really, really high hoop. Um, I, I think that, that that's one big factor. Uh, and, and that's why, um, as I, you know, that throughout this, this feature article, I unpack some of the, the various angles, things like salary and all of that. But, but by the end, the conclusion I kept coming back to, and it came through, especially in in some of the testimonials. So we've got this future issue in this in this um, coming up uh, issue of the magazine. But then I included two stories of individuals who've left other professions, one of them a, a carpenter and the other one a, a chemical engineer. So they've left lucrative um, professions and they've gone into teaching. And I looked at what, what motivated them and also what's motivating the people who are currently teachers. And, and it's um, encouraging to see that it's really a heart's desire to, to serve God, to serve God's kingdom. I think uh, speaking for myself, I know for many people, the most influential people in our lives are often teachers. Teachers can have just a massive impact. So the, the Christian church, um, if we look at where we're going to put our time, if a young person is looking at where they're going to invest their entire career, yeah, they definitely can find a career that pays better, better that's easier to get into. But at heart, uh, are we willing to put our time where it's needed? And, and right now, we really, really need teachers. Um, so more and more, I, I looked into that question of, is teacher, being a teacher, is it a calling? Is it a ministry? How does that relate to, to other um, important professions that are out there? And, and so that's where the, the editorial of the magazine goes to that question, really, of, of uh, honorable professions. And, and at root, the conclusion that I came to is just uh, how important it is that regardless of what profession God puts us into, be it a plumber, be it a teacher, be it a pastor, that we do it entirely for, for God's um, glory, for, for seeking first uh, his kingdom and his righteousness. When we do that, you end up with great teachers. And I think you also end up with people who are willing uh, to pick the profession 
but it might not be as attractive for for more worldly reasons like like salary and so on mm -hmm. yeah well, that, that makes a lot of sense do you see or did you see in your research i don't know if there'd be statistics to uh to show this at all but not just when students are going to university and and looking at the quality of education and choosing not to go because of the lack of quality um, that being an issue, of course, but also, do you think that we are are losing students who go to university and are and become woke or become, uh, yeah, left wing or or obsessed with uh, whatever uh, the Marxist ideology often that's that's being taught in uh, higher education? Do you think that is a factor with them just straight up leaving the church and not becoming uh, able to teach in our schools? The great question. I uh, I did see the stat that said. About 38 to 42 percent of grade 11 and 12 students who were surveyed, so these are students in Reformed Christian schools, expressed an interest in teaching. Like when they were asked, "Where are you going?" They said, "That that's where we're interested in going." And then the the um, this survey that that went out from Teach with House Canada also looked at the number of students that are exiting um, education programs, and and the number is was far far smaller. It was around 5%, 6%. Now, I don't have a clear grasp myself on, on how they got that statistic. Um, I think they've, they've only been collecting this data for a few years now, so it's probably got a long ways to go. But, but clearly, there's a disconnect between those who are expressing an interest in the profession and those who are coming out the other side. And I'd say um, the number of applications per position shows, shows that even more so, like the fact that there's so few people applying. Um, I think that what you expressed is is one possibility, but that's that's something where, in general, the Reformed Church community I think can be very very encouraged. Um, I know that when I uh, hang out with some of my my uh, evangelical friends in the broader evangelical community, they are alarmed at the attrition rate, if that's the word to use, of of their youth when it comes to leaving the church. The stat is even ninety percent. 90% of youth aren't ending up in the same church um, or even by same church. It doesn't necessarily mean the same denomination, but 90% are, are really leaving and finding their own path. Whereas I think for the most part in the, in the Orthodox Reformed Christian community, so generally the churches associated with NAPARC in, in Canada and the United States, um, I would guess it's, it's probably flipped around. It's probably 90% that are staying within the Reformed church community even if they're leaving one denomination they'd be going to another faithful denomination and and i think that's that's a lot of reason for encouragement though what you say is is something that we need to be on the watch out for definitely that a lot, a lot of youth are getting lost in the secular context and that's also why i appreciated one of the strategies that came from teach with us canada they came up with five strategies for how to address this issue um, and one of the strategies involved a mentoring role, so figuring out who's pursuing uh, the the profession, who's in in the queue, so to speak, pursuing post secondary studies, and and um, establishing contact with them and keeping contact with them, and I think that's that's brilliant. Could go a long ways um, to what you speak of, but also just to make sure that they end up actually coming through and 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 teaching um, in in the the school communities that actually need them. Mm -hmm. Okay, related question, I suppose, to that, and this is somewhat, uh, yeah, somewhat a branch off of, from this. But do you know if there are stats on the attrition rate of young people in churches? Because uh, I can remember having a conversation with someone uh, a few months back, and he mentioned that we don't actually have a tremendous amount of growth in our Canadian Reformed churches. Because I, I had made a similar comment to him saying, "Well, we do a really good job of retaining our young people," but he raised the point that if you actually look at it, like. For example, here in Southern Ontario, if you look at the the graduating classes of Guido, uh, we probably lose at least 20%, I would say. That's just kind of off the top of my head trying to think of people who are in and around my age. And that's probably a conservative estimate. It, it could be up to 30, maybe 40. Um, like We definitely replace anybody who, who dies and, and whatnot in the Federation. We're definitely on a good level that way. But we certainly don't, I don't know if we would, if we could say we keep 90%, that might be a bit high. Did you come across any stats in that regard when in, in your research? No, no. And uh, I would be interested in the same. I, I don't know who would be responsible for getting statistics like that. But just from my own experience, um, I think it's really important that we, 
we define um, staying and leaving? What does attrition look like? Because my guess would be um, th that those who might be leaving one Orthodox Reformed Church community are probably going to another one, maybe with a bit of a different style. Uh, maybe it doesn't necessarily even have the name Reformed in, in the church. Uh, but th that's definitely what I've seen is, is a, uh, a desire to stay as a, as a faithful Christian, maybe just going on a, on a slightly different path, um, which is very different than what is being experienced in the broader evangelical and Christian community, where it's an actual giving up of the core tenets of the faith. It's, it's arising from, from, um, yeah, giving oneself over to, to, um, unbelief or, or just, uh, deciding that it's not a priority. Faith's not a priority. I'm not going to bother going to church anymore and not going to bother um, training up my own children in, in the way of the faith. Uh, so I'd be like you, I'd be interested to see some real data, some real stats, um, as it relates to the confessional reformed churches in, in Canada. Yeah, that would be neat to see. Okay. So earlier you, you had, uh, talked about the, uh, Canadian reform school league, and you just mentioned previously, uh, one of the tactics they took, uh, to, uh, hopefully increase the amount of teachers we have is to, uh, establish contact with those who have uh, expressed an interest in, uh, in pursuing that field. Uh, what were some of the other strategies that the uh, Reform School League uh, is working on? And then also, um, do they have best practices that they can share across that, um, that, that the schools across the country so that they can help improve the hiring practices? They, they've, um, this particular team, the Teach With Us team, identified five strategies. And, and uh, those five strategies, it sounds like they've just started uh, implementing them or, or developing them this spring. And, and it's something that carries on for the next 18 months or so. So it's a work a work in progress. And also the, the thing to keep in mind, I think for our listeners is it's, it's either principals who are already very busy uh, overseeing their own schools or it's volunteers on, on school boards. So it's not that there's a big team of, of you know, full-time staff who can, who can make some of this a reality. But all that to say, I was very impressed. They have, for each of these strategies, they have laid out who's responsible for it, and then a you know a five to ten step action plan of what that looks like, along with dates, goals, and dates, and so on. And and you could probably guess the the directions that the five strategies um, take. Some of them are more uh, geared towards helping those who are currently in the teaching profession. Uh, so looking for ways in which we can. Um, in which we can ensure that they're thriving in their current role. So one of the concerns raised was that teachers don't have opportunity to grow, to develop. They just have to do what's ever in front of them. Uh, so communicating with institutions like, like the Covenant uh, Teachers College to see if there's a way in which they can be uh, professional development. Um, other, other tactics, though, have more to do with reaching out to the um, students or the individuals who might have a potential of becoming teachers, even from other professions. So like I mentioned earlier, actually surveying and seeing who's out there and then establishing contact with them and, and staying in touch with them on their journey all the way through. As well, there's even talk about um, help to those who are in other professions to see if there's a way in which they can be trained to make the switch from, from a different profession to teaching, similar to the two uh, testimonials that, that I share, the two stories that I share um, in, in the upcoming issue. So I, I think there's something to all of that. Um, one very practical effort that I, I um, mused about as I heard more and more about this is, and it, it also combines what you were talking about coordinating a strategy across the country, is um, some schools have local initiatives to give scholarships to those pursuing education. But if you think about that, it's probably not, not going to go too far. If, if, you are, if you've decided tomorrow, uh, Lucas, that you want to become a teacher and you think, okay, I've got, let's say, five years ahead of me and, and we'll, just, we'll just round it out and say um, it's going to cost $20,000 per year between tuition and, and, and uh, other costs associated with it, not even including what you know, what you're giving up by not being able to work, work full time. The idea of a, even a, a generous $5,000 scholarship that you might get, you might not get, is not going to probably be the difference in terms of deciding whether you can do this, whether it's achievable, especially if you have a family, 
uh, is this something that you can afford while you're while you're uh, raising little kids and so on and and so um, I think there too there's a need to to not just have little one-off offers but a, a coordinated strategy so what I put forward just for consideration don't know if anything can come of come of it uh, but would be that there's a pool of funds that's available where individuals who are going to a specific institution something like redeemer and I know you uh, had a Redeemer's president on before. They've got a fantastic program. Solid. It sounds like a solid, very solid um, institution. So if they're going to a quality program like Redeemer, uh, that they could access, let's say, ten or fifteen thousand dollars per year for up to five years, uh, and then when they accept the teaching position at a reformed institution, then that amount can be um, forgiven one year at a time. So in year one, for example, 15,000 can be forgiven as a signing bonus. Year two, 10,000 goes. Year three, another 10,000, four, five. So the full amount that they borrowed ends up being forgiven. And, and it can be that either, um, you know, maybe there's some generous folks out there who make that happen, that they provide that those funds, but it doesn't even have to be that you're looking to some generous people to make it happen. It could be that the school that hires those teachers just agrees to take that on uh, because they're, the need for teachers is so great. So yeah, we'll be paying you your salary, but we'll also be forgiving your your student loan for the next five years straight. What you end up with is a student who's going through a good program, not, not just another secular program out there. Uh, the student ends up being able to go through the entire process without without that extra weight of debt on their shoulders. And I know speaking for myself, that would have gone really long ways uh, to, to making a the pathway clear, achievable, doable uh, for a, either an older student or a younger student. That's just for, for consideration. No, oh, that, that sounds like an excellent idea. I'd be uh, interested to see if, uh, yeah, either if some uh, some well-to-do folks wanted to, to take that up as a project or if we could make that happen between the various schools. I think that's, that's a very interesting suggestion. So uh, feel free to weigh in on that audience, uh, listeners and viewers, if you like that idea um yeah feel free to talk to mark uh to into the show and uh, to see if we can get that going that's that's very cool all right so that's that's kind of uh i think that'll be it for the teacher uh, shortages issue so thanks mark for for giving us uh, all of your insight on that uh, topic we'll uh go back to john has been patiently waiting uh he's just chomping at the bit champing at the bit actually to uh to give us his book review so uh what do you have for us john and, and what do you think of this book yeah um I went with a bit of a different direction. Uh, we devour books in our household here, and I'm always trying to find uh, enough materials for my girls to work their way through. So I thought I would just hit with uh, ten titles, basically for fantasy fiction. Um, not really, not really give the review. Mostly just hit with the title. But in keeping with you know, we got the top two, you know, The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, and then uh, C.S. Lewis Narnia. So once you're done that, what else is there? And I'm gonna I'm gonna give my top ten uh, in reverse order. So at number ten, uh, John White's The Sword Bear. It's a five book series. It is uh, written by him after his kids requested more Narnia. So instead of uh, going through a wardrobe, they end up going to another world via a TV, a bunch of TVs. So a little bit updated, not quite at Lewis's level. That's why it's ten. Um, but you know, it's fun. It's fun. Um, Sigmund Brower, Wings of Dawn. Uh, the premise is Thomas knows a whole bunch of technology that seems like magic at the time, but he knows about gunpowder from China back in England when they don't know about it. He knows about kites from here and this, that, and the other thing. So he is setting out, this boy is setting out to win back his family castle using all sorts of technological means that really do exist at the time that he's doing it, just not where he is. Very fun story by Sigmund Brower. Um, Stephen Lawhead, The War Warlords of Nin, is a Christian author. Uh, this is the first book in a trilogy. His early stuff is sort of typical but awesome, um, you know, sword and kingdom-winning uh, materials. He gets a bit curious in his older years so I, I if you're looking for Stephen lawhead look for his early stuff this is an awesome awesome book uh urchin of the writing stars a squirrel and uh swords squirrel and swords 
Um, great for preteen to teen. It does actually have the squirrels taking on euthanasia. So there's some depth to this book. Um, you, you wouldn't necessarily expect in a squirrel book, but there's something to it. Uh, Rise and Fall of Mount Majestic. This has uh, poison tongue jumping turtles, uh, a castle on top of a mountain that falls and rises once each day. Uh, the king is a pepper hoarding kid, and the hero is a, a, a wonderful girl who is aspiring to be a knight, but who actually saves the day with her smarts and her chutzpah. So the kind of book you might want to give your daughter. It's it, The Rise and Fall of Mount Majestic. Um, Brave Ollie Possum by Ethan Nicole, one of the guys behind Babylon B. Kid scared of everything. Uh, can't convince his parents that there really is something outside his window at night. And he's right. It is an ogre. Um, and he gets transformed into a possum, Brave Ollie Possum. Possums faint when they're scared. So he keeps getting into all sorts of uh, horrible situations in which he then faints. Um, so wonderfully comic and uh, lots of just lots of fun. Green Ember, S.D. Smith, um, rabbits and swords. I mean, what can you do better than than rodents and swords? Uh, I'll, I'll leave that one at it. Here we're coming to the last two. Jonathan Rogers, The Bark of the Bog Owl. It is uh, riffing off of King Saul and David, but I did not understand that until about the sixth chapter. My, my daughter figured it out a lot quicker than me. Um, but it would be Saul and David if it was in the American South during feudal English times. They fight. Yeah, it's, it's wonderfully... Odd. It's somebody described it as C.S. Lewis and Mark Twain all put together. A wonderful, wonderful book. Uh, and this one I put right up there with with Lewis and Tolkien. Uh, Andrew Peterson's On the Edge of the Dark Sea of Darkness. I had this on my shelf for probably years because Andrew Peterson is a very uh, famous and and talented musician. And so I just figured, like, how could the guy be really good at two things? So it can't be true. Um, this is so inventive. Uh, yeah, th three kids are on an adventure to find the jewels of an area, and they're fighting lizard creatures that have conquered their land. And um, yeah, they're fighting the the, the evil ruler named named Nag the Nameless. And, oh, and they have to watch out for deadly cows. So. Um, it's 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 awesome. This is a classic. It'll be around 50 years from now. Uh, the Wingfeather Saga on the Edge of the Dark Sea of Darkness. So that's it. Fantasy for your kids and for the adults who love fantasy too. Wonderful. Thank you, John. Your uh, enthusiasm is infectious between all the uh, squirrels and the rabbits and the rodents and the swords. That's uh, it's quite the list. So it's a lot for people to chew on and feel free to check them out. Uh, we'll make sure to uh, include that list in the show notes so uh, you don't have to rewind and, uh, and watch John again. Uh, okay, so we are nearing the end of the show. Uh, this has been a lot of fun, actually. And uh, I'm going to throw it over to Mark for some closing thoughts on what we're trying to do with this show and how this ties into uh, to RP's mission. Yeah, thanks, Lucas. It's been a lot of fun. Um, what you said about John's list being an infectious. Uh, it, the, one of the neat things about having joined this this RP team this year is I get to benefit from, from John's wisdom uh, more often. So when I was at his study there not long ago, he showed me that wing feather saga, pulled it off his shelf. I went and ordered it. Uh, for my family. And I have to say, uh, those books have made quite the splash uh, in our home. And and it's the kind of books where, yeah, my kids have been reading them, but I've been reading them too. And I think uh, regardless of what age you are, you're going to get a lot out of it. And there's something pretty special about within a home about reading the same thing, not just each person going their own own route. And uh, I didn't plan that as a segue, but it's it's kind of a segue to, to the point here about, you know, in answering your question about tying this all together. Um, one of the, the very, um, say, truly exciting, but also privileged um, uh, opportunities that, that Reform Perspective has 
is to try to do exactly that, to try to, to get um, a lot of different people reading, ingesting. It doesn't necessarily have to be reading. It could be listening, like through a podcast, it could be through video, but being tuned in to similar content. And that doesn't mean that we all have to sing from the same hymn book, so to speak, uh, but rather that it's, it's similar in terms of united in Christ. Uh, there is so much content out there in this world right now. That's something that, that I'm sure each of us uh, grapples with. But a lot of what Christians are ingesting isn't actually very healthy. It's not, if you look from a spiritual perspective, it's not nourishing. It's like junk food. And it's it's no surprise then, like what we started off with, with uh, Bill DeYoung's episode, um, youth culture. It's no surprise that that youth are struggling spiritually. And it's not just the youth. Really, a lot of the same things could be said about about adults, even seniors who are ingesting hours and hours of YouTube, uh, and it has an impact uh, on their minds, on their faith. Uh, so what we're trying to accomplish with, with Reform Perspective uh, through a variety of mediums is to promote unity uh, in Christ, unity in faith. And, and of course, uh, for each of us, with the basis of that doesn't come from Reform Perspective. It comes from uh, what we do every Sunday, we go under the preaching of God's word. We hear that being being faithfully explained from pulpits across the country. But uh, how does that apply to to issues like what we chatted about today? How does it apply to economics? How does it apply to to something like teacher shortages? And that's the the really the privileged place that that RP has is get to try to apply uh, our faith to to the issues of of all seven days uh, of the week uh, and. Yeah, one of the big, big developments that we are experiencing with, with RP is I'm, I'm holding up here for those who are not watching a, a print um, issue, the, the most recent print issue. Well, the, the magazine itself uh, has taken a big step forward by going to uh, now over 10,000 homes. Uh, and, and what that can do by going into so many different homes is, is it can help us to be all reading similar content. So we can talk about it between ages. You know, uh, a grandpa can talk to a teen and say, what did you think of that movie guide that, that RP shared this summer? What did you think of that movie? And, and vice versa. Um, the teens can talk to their parents and say, hey, look at this movie. Um, see what, what uh, RP had to say about it. And the parents can feel more comfortable about showing that movie in their homes based on what they read. Uh, rather than having each person following Google, following their own favorite, whatever, you know, whatever their, their phone brings up, um, just following their own rabbit trail when it comes to what they're ingesting uh, day to day. Um, and, and I think that the three issues we talked about uh, today, the, the three last episodes, um, when it comes to helping youth to figure out their identity, well, we, we have a beautiful identity as Reformed Christians. We belong. We understand as, as a covenant community, we belong to Jesus Christ. Well, if, if our youth are not ingesting Reformed content, it's pretty understandable that they're going to be confused. If they only hear about it on Sunday off the pulpits, they're probably going to have a hard time as they get older to apply it to the rest of their life. Um, likewise, with the, with the issue of gender, that's something that, we can talk about it on a podcast and, and get excited about it, but most people won't have actually read it. Well, when we put it in this issue and share this print issue with, again, all the NAPARC churches in Canada, now they can talk about it. They can have discussion, not just within one particular denomination, but across denominations. Uh, and likewise, the whole theme of unity between CANRC, URC, really it could apply to any, any churches. Um, how do we become united? I think unity is not something so much you talk about. It's something you do when you're working alongside each other. So something like Reform Perspective through the podcast, through the magazine and, and the other uh, means that it provides, it can get us working together alongside each other. A lot of these things we talk about are not unique to any particular denomination, as we see with the teacher shortages. It's something that we all have to grapple with. So why don't we learn from each other? Why don't we help each other? also with the, the strategies that are being employed. So I, I do get excited, uh, Lucas, uh, by, by what God is doing uh, with Reform Perspective. I get really excited by what he's doing through Real Talk as well. We're not all readers per se, but to, to be able to listen, you can often go deeper. Uh, and and I, I do hope that our listeners 
if they're not already, that they do get plugged into uh, Reform Perspective's wealth of, of resources, including the print magazine, which John uh, capably heads up every issue again. Wonderful. Well, thanks for tying it all together, Mark. I, I appreciate that. And yeah, it's 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 humbling to be a to be a part of the team. It's it's encouraging to see all that's going on. And I think uh, I speak for all of us when we're excited for what the future uh, has in store, and we're excited to continue to improve the product and improve the content that we bring, all of our listeners, readers, and viewers. And uh, yeah, to work towards that unity, uh, to uh, to give kind of a common place and a common um, source for information. That we can uh, all uh, take part in and to discuss important issues over time. I think it's uh, it's it's something that needs to be done, and we're happy to do it. And we're going to keep working to uh, to make it better every time we come out with new content. All right. Well, uh, this has been uh, the inaugural episode of Real Talk Roundup. We hope you have all enjoyed it as much as we have. Uh, at least there'll be three viewers, I, I suppose. Um, but anyways, uh, just, yeah, thank you for listening and, and for watching, uh, please send us your feedback. This is, again, this is the first time doing this kind of show. So we'd love to hear what you thought. Please send in suggestions for, uh, theme topics, uh, for future guests. Uh, this time we had Mark and John on, but we can definitely tap into, uh, the resources of RP, bring on other members of the team, bring on people, uh, connect with RP and the network. So, um, yeah, once again, sending your suggestions, uh, real, what is the email? We'll put the email in the uh, in the show notes. I forget it off the top of my head right now. But also, you can DM us on social media and uh, and contact us in, in a variety of different ways. So, without further ado, this has been uh, Real Talk Roundup. Keep having real talk. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real Talk. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen or watch the show. If you want to send us your feedback, and we'd love to hear it, please email us at reformedrealtalk at gmail.com. If you want to find us online or social media, we've got a lot of great content there. Just search Reformed Real Talk and we should come right up. This show is created and produced by myself, Lucas Holtbluer, and Tyler Vanderwood. And our wonderful podcast manager who does all the editing is Mariah Tamiga. So we're really thankful for her contribution to the show as well. That's all for now, folks. Thanks for watching or listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.